Okay guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Revelation. Now the last time we were here, we were dealing with the eternal kingdom of God. Once again, now this is different from the kingdom of Messiah, which, which deals with the second advent when Jesus returns and he sets up a kingdom on this earth, the earth that we have right now. And of course there will be a renovation of this earth, even as spoken of in the prophet Isaiah, but that's a renovation of this world that we have right now. And Jesus will reign for a thousand years along with the saints of God. But when we deal with the eternal kingdom, this is what we call the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Messiah. The kingdom of Messiah is temporal. It only lasts for a certain while and the kingdom of Messiah is of this earth. But the eternal kingdom is the kingdom of God and it lasts forever. It is different in nature. And so that's what we began to talk about in Revelation 21, the nature of the kingdom of God, which is different again from the kingdom of Messiah, the kingdom of God will last forever and ever and of that kingdom, it will never come to an end. And everything in that kingdom, because of the nature of the kingdom of God, everything of that kingdom will be more glorious and everyone, every person will be eternal in their nature. Okay. And also with respect to that, since this is the eternal kingdom, there will be no more sin of any kind from anyone. That is the nature of humanity will be changed. Remember the nature of mankind fell when Adam disobeyed God in Genesis chapter three. And that's when the sin nature of man was born. Okay. But in the eternal kingdom, God has given man, all mankind, an eternal body with which the eternal nature of mankind is changed into a holy nature. So therefore in the eternal kingdom of God, there will never be sin again of any kind. Okay. And that's basically what we dealt with. Then we started moving towards the issue. We saw that early in 21, the holy city, the new Jerusalem. All right. So as we move into the second part of revelation and, and I, and if you allow me, I'm going to just bring all of it from verse number nine to the end of the chapter, uh, in this one teaching. And hopefully it won't be long at all, even though it seems long, it won't be long because for the most part, it's descriptive is telling us about the new Jerusalem. So let me say this before we even get into the text. What we will see is a similarity and a similarity and also not a contradiction, but a distinction between the Jerusalem, the, the city of Jerusalem where the Messiah went. So, okay, let me slow it down. We know according to the prophets, say, namely Ezekiel who concentrates on the temple of God. All right. Cause that's, that's key because the temple is central to Jerusalem. Okay. Ezekiel and even the prophet Micah. All right. They talk about these things with a little more detail of the old Testament. When Jesus returns in the second advent to reign, he will not only just reestablish 
life in the earth itself. But there's a concentration on Israel and there's a concentration, especially when we look at Ezekiel, because Ezekiel is a priest. And the book of Ezekiel concentrates on the temple. That is the glory of God. First part of Ezekiel, even Ezekiel nine, the glory of God departing from the temple and the glory of God returning back to the temple, Ezekiel 40 to 48. So he concentrates on that. But the temple we know is in Jerusalem. Okay, so the central part of Ezekiel's thinking is the temple. We also kind of see that in uh, Micah as well as he talks about the temple of the house of the Lord being great. But anyway, so there is a focusing in the Old Testament prophets on Jerusalem, even the temple of God. All right. Same way as we get here, there will be a focus on Jerusalem without the temple of God. So in Messiah's kingdom, focus in Jerusalem with the temple in the eternal kingdom of God, focus on Jerusalem without the temple. And it's also in comparison, we see glory in Messiah's temple. That is the temporal earth in the kingdom of Messiah. We see a glory in the temple because it says you'll see it too. You'll see it. The temple of the house of the Lord that Jesus will reestablish. This would be the fourth temple. Okay. The fourth temple that Jesus himself will build will be on the highest mountain. All right. In this earth. So he's going to cause the mountain to rise and all of the nations will come to worship at this mountain. The house of the Lord will be established. But as we will see here in Revelation 21, there won't be another temple, but there will, because remember the temple is in Jerusalem where Jesus is. All right. But there will be a temple. I'm sorry, not a temple, but another new Jerusalem. But this one will come down from heaven. See, the very idea is the character and nature of it. And what I'm trying to get you to see is where the temple of Messiah on earth during his reign was glorious. The new city Jerusalem that comes down from God will be even more glory. And so that's what you're going to see concerning Jerusalem. Messiah's reign glorious, but the new city, because it is a new state of all things, you're moving from the temporal state to the eternal state. So therefore the new, the new holy city, Jerusalem will be even more glorious. Okay. And so the descriptors that would be involved that this city that is built by God will be, it just would be great. It would be on a scale unimaginable. Speaking of what glory unimaginable. All right. So with that, we're going to get into the new city, holy city, new Jerusalem. And as long as you keep that in mind, It'll allow me to just kind of move through the text without trying to give commentary on everything, especially since it's very descriptive about the walls of the city, uh, uh, the gates of the city and the foundations of the city and, and the beautiful jewels that it's made of without getting into all of those details. You can always just look up those particular jewels on your own. There's nothing so much as to talk about at great length, but it's just simply giving you the glory and splendor of the eternal 
Jerusalem, okay? And so we can just basically read the text and this won't take so long. All right, so let's go. Verse number nine. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So now let me talk about that one verse alone. So now the concentration is moved again, like we've been saying, to the holy city, the new Jerusalem. That's where we're moving to, right? Now, notice it said the bride, the wife of the lamb. So we see here, either in an expansive state, in a sense, an expansive state. And what I mean by expansive is this. Earlier when we saw the bride, the wife of the lamb, that is Jesus marrying the church in Revelation. We also see it, say for instance, Ephesians chapter five. Husband is, is love the wife like Christ loved the church and all that. So we know that it is the church, the church. And there is a distinction and guys, I don't have time. Maybe we'll do a separate video on that because I think sometimes people get it confused. They think when you say the church, that means all saved people throughout the age. That means since, since the world will begin until the end. That's not the church. And that's not the bride of Christ, of, when it's of Christ, of Jesus. That is not the church. In other words, Israel Old Testament is not the bride of Jesus. You got it? Only the Jews who were saved after the resurrection of the dead, within, with inclusive of Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles, Jew and Gentile, who believe in Jesus after he was resurrected from the dead up until the rapture of the church, okay? They and they alone constitute, make up the bride of Christ. So Old Testament saints are not a part of the bride and as well as those who will be saved during the time of the tribulation and even after the second advent of Jesus, when Jesus returns sets up the kingdom and people will be saved during that time. They are not the church. So therefore they are not the bride of Christ. You get it now? So we need to understand that particular thing. But nevertheless, what I'm saying here and God is saying here is kind of like an expansive. It's not simply the church that is the bride of Christ in verse number nine. But what we see is the bride being the holy city itself. And that's what we're going to see for the remainder of this text. So the bride is not just simply the church, the people of God for that particular time period that I just gave you, but the bride you will see will be the new Jerusalem itself. So let's keep going. And he carried me away. Cause, notice, cause now we want to see what the bride is. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God having the glory of God, her brilliance was a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. So now he tells us exactly who the bride is. Notice the holy city, New Jerusalem, not just a people, but the city itself. And another thing too, as I said to you earlier, notice the language, the similarity of language a great and high mountain. Notice that's where the holy city of Jerusalem is, on a great and high mountain. In the same way, if we would go back, remember, to the old earth, remember the earth was destroyed, remember a new heaven and a new earth, but if we went back to the previous one, when Jesus set up 
his kingdom and Jesus set up the mountain of the house of the Lord in his Jerusalem. It was also in a high mountain and a high place. But the point that I'm exaggerating here is as there is similarity, high and great mountain, there is also an exaggeration, great and high mountain. Why? Because this is the eternal kingdom that is more glorious. This is the final glory of all things, the greatest glory, even greater than the kingdom of Messiah. And that's the language that is given. And we see that this city, notice now, has been created already and is coming down out of heaven. You got it? So we will see the abode of God coming down unto men. As God himself said, he dwells with mankind. But nevertheless, that's the descriptions. Great and glorious city. And notice having the glory of God. Same thing. Greater glory even than that of, of the Messiah. And it talks about the brilliance of it. The light that shines from the city. It would be a city of light with the luminance of light but also the luminance of costly jewels that sparkle. And that's the idea of a sparkling, glorious city. And we will see that as we work through the text, okay? So now, as we talk about the walls and the foundation, again, allow me to shorten it by not talking about the jewels itself, but just simply giving you a basic explanation. And even as John talks about the holy city, Jerusalem, and the eternal age, he doesn't try to answer all the questions that we might have. He just simply gives us a glimpse of what life will be like, what the world would be like, the new worlds would be like, or should I even say the new creation would be like. And, and as the, uh, the scripture says, I have not seen, he have not heard, neither has entered into the mind of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Okay. But nevertheless, so now let's talk about the description of the city, 12. It had a great and high wall, 12 gates, and the gates were 12 angels, and the names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the lamb. So now he talks about the wall, the outer wall of the city had 12 gates, 12 angels. So we basically see 12 gates on the wall the, and it's basically square, basically square. Okay. The city itself, as we're going to see in the text is basically has the appearance of a cube, like a cube, but nevertheless, simply 12 walls, 12 gates and each gate to the city had 12 sentinel angels, angels standing. And then that seems to be the idea, angels standing outside of the gates of the city. Okay. And notice there is a relationship with the 12 tribes of Israel. And we know, and I can't get into great detail, but there's a lot I think that can be actually said about this. The 12, the foundation for the old Testament saints foundation for old Testament saints, and remember these foundation 12 tribes of Israel were all Jews, all Jews. Okay. 12 tribes of Israel foundational. And then after, as we progress through the scriptures, what happens? There is an expansion 
of the people of God. And this came with Jesus in the New Testament in the selection of the 12 apostles. And still remember, they themselves, all 12 apostles were all Jews, but all 12 apostles, the apostles were not the apostles simply to the Jews. They were the apostles for the church at large. The church consists of both Jew and Gentile, which lets us know that the occupancy, those who will live in the city seems to be both Jew Jews. And that is, and, and here's what the idea seems to suggest all Jews. Okay. All Jews will be in the Holy city. Now what you have to remember is this, cause I think a lot of people don't see it through the Holy city. As we see it, it doesn't seem by the text to land on the earth, to land. It seems that it'll kind of be a hovering type thing. Imagine like a big city, huge, because we'll see that the city would be like anywhere from like 1200 to 1500 uh, square miles, like a cube. Imagine that it doesn't come down and sit on the earth, but kind of like floats above it in some sense, or maybe it does touch. I don't know. But the point is it has a certain distinction separate from the rest of the earth. All right. People will be living in the holy city. Okay. But remember, you got a whole world that God has created. People will also be living in the rest of the world. So you will have occupants in the holy city. That's where you send their mail to. They live there and you have other people who live in the rest of the world. And those people living in the rest of the world will be coming in and out. They'll be visiting the Holy city. They won't live there. That won't be their home, but they are becoming in and out of the Holy city. But you have another group of people. That's where they live and that's, they don't go anywhere. And I think that this descriptor that is giving to us here is letting us know about those who reside there. Notice again, it talks about, and that's why I told you earlier, we know we have to learn the distinction of things. The 12 tribes of Israel, Jews, and even when we see the kingdom of Messiah in Israel, in Israel, when Jesus returns, only Jews would be the residents there. There'll be some Gentiles there, but the Gentiles will be literally working for the Jews. It's not going to be their natural home. Oh, oh, that's another discussion. We can't get into that, but Jews will be in Israel. That's in the kingdom of Messiah. So when we see this same thing, remember I told you that the, 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 how they relate to one another, the similarities, but it is a heightened similarity, but Jews will be in the Holy city. So that will be the home of Jewish people in the eternal kingdom. All of them will be there. So we see what 12 tribes of Israel, they will be there. But then it also brought in about the apostles. Remember that thing. And when the name of the apostles are there, it will speak of the church. Remember the apostles are of the church. What does the church consist of Jew and Gentile? So there was, it seems to indicate in the Holy city, cause the Holy city is going to be super huge. Okay. Jew and Gentile in the Holy city, but not all Gentiles. 
the Gentiles that would be there seem to be those who are of the church. And remember, there will be Gentiles. Gen okay, let me just slow it down. There, are, there were righteous Gentiles in the earth. Watch this. Let me give you an example. Abraham coming back from the slaughter of the kings. He met whom? Melchizedek. Name meaning king of righteousness, king of peace, right? He was a righteous Gentile. In order to be a Jew, you have to descend from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Melchizedek did not descend from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was a Gentile, righteous Gentile. There were a number of righteous Gentiles, right? And they died. So they were not a part of the Jewish people. They are not a part of the church. They're righteous Gentiles. Now watch this. After the rapture of the church, after the church is raptured, you will still have Gentiles being saved. You got it? But they're not a part of the church. So these Gentiles that I spoke of before the time of the church, say for instance, some people call it Old Testament times, after the rapture of the church, Gentiles, you got it? They will live on the earth outside of the, out the holy city. The Gentiles that will live in the holy city will be of the church. That's all I'm trying to say, guys. I hope you understood it. So let me move on. So that's what they have, this representation of those who will be living inside of the glorious holy city. So we see the gates uh, on the east, the, the, the uh, gate on each side, four gates, 12 foundation stones, name of the 12 apostles. That's what that's bringing all about, okay? That's what that includes. That's what it's talking about. But the foundation stones, now this is not simply in some symbolic sense. This is literal, as I'm explaining it to you, as is being given in Revelation. This is literal. The, the ground itself, it will not be. See what you got to understand? Okay, watch this very quickly. This may end up being longer than I anticipated, but I do want you to get a good understanding. When Jesus comes back, second advent, okay, let's go back to the reign of Messiah. And he sets up the kingdom on this world. In Jerusalem, the ground in the Jerusalem will be dirt. The ground will be dirt. Do you understand that? Like we have now. But in this eternal state, notice in this Jerusalem, you don't see dirt. You see literal, the ground is precious stones. Oh, and I can take you back to when the Bible said the original earth was like that when Satan ruled, but no, not now. But we see, but notice again, Jesus kingdom glorious, but it's still dirt. But now you go here to the eternal kingdom of God. You don't see dirt. You see nothing but jewels. You see it now? Heightened glory. Okay. So 12 foundation stones and now stones of the apostles. Verse number 15. Let's move. The one who spoke with me. Let me check. I'm keeping check on the time, guys, because I don't even think now we're going to be able to finish it because I take, took so much time. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and this wall city is laid out as a square and its length is great as a great as the width. And he measured the city with a rod 1500 miles is length and the width are equal and height are width and height are equal. He measured his wall 72 yards according to human measurements, which are angelic measurements. Okay. So let's just deal with that uh, very briefly. 
So now he goes to the measuring of the wall and notice that similarity of the language that we see in Ezekiel 40. You got it? Because when God spoke to Ezekiel about measuring the walls of the city, the reference and concentration is to the temple. But here there is no temple, but the idea of the language is the same. And notice we see heightened glory in Ezekiel. When it was measured, he used a regular reef, but here, when the walls of the city of God of this new Jerusalem is measured, he used a gold measuring rod, a golden reef. Okay. And then he talks about the gates in the city, how it's laid out. Notice the city is laid out as a square. That's why we said it's going to be kind of like cubicle and struck in the, in the form of appearance than where it looks. Notice he said, what the length is as great as the width. As, as wide as it is, as long it's a square. He measures out the city with a rod and notice this is this almost insane to think about 1500 miles square. That is huge. But why will it be huge? That's where Israel, the church and the angels will dwell. OK, but it's huge. It's length and it's width are equal. So you see basically a square. You got it. And I did imagine Rubik's cube. So it gets into verse number 17, talking about the walls. So there's a wall around the uh, a city and the, the depth breadth of the wall being as they put it here, 72 yards. And he says, even though it's measured as if by the angel, same thing when he says angelic measurement, it just simply means even though the angel is measuring these things, it is still the measurement that men use. That's all he's saying here. Okay. So now let's go into verse number 18. The material of the wall was Jasper. So allow me to kind of move through this. Here's the point I want to move through the material of the wall, what the wall is made of the city and the city was pure gold, like clear glass foundation stones of the city were uh, city wall were adorned. That's the wall of the city with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone, Jasper, the second sapphire, the third Chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the set, the eleventh Jason, the twelfth amethyst. So he talks about simply the walls of the city had all kinds of stone. But again, that heightened statement of greater glory, notice what it said, that the sea itself was made of gold. The city was pure gold. Remember again, go back to the city of Messiah. It was not pure gold, but the eternal city will be pure gold. Can you imagine that? It's all pure gold. The building, gold, the wall, gold. In, insane. And then all of this precious stones, beautiful and pure. All right. So let me move on. And without even getting a bunch of commentary in all of that, then he talks about verse number 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates had a single pearl and the street of the city was pure gold, like, like transparent glass. So now let me talk about that too. As we move, talk about the external things of the city. The 12 gates, remember he talked about there'll be 12 gates, all right? And the sentinel angel that was set at each gate. But he also talked about, you know, you come into a gate, 
Each gate is made of one singular pearl. And remember, these are high walls and thick gates. Have you ever in your life, can you imagine a gate that large, that big, being one single solitary pearl? So notice the glory, it is it's insane with the glory of the, you, when you get there, you go like, oh my God, oh my God. I imagine every time you come into the holy city, it'll always strike you with the beauty forever and ever. The glory of God cannot be measured. <laughs> but, and that's the whole point. Remember the holy city comes down having the glory of God. But nevertheless, so you got these 12 gates, 12 city, and it, it again emphasizes that the city was what? Pure gold. Gold so pure like transparent glass. All right, let's get ready to wrap it up. 22, and I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. Now let me just deal with that verse by itself. Here is where we have a distinction between the Jerusalem of Messiah's kingdom and the Jerusalem of the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom. Remember, Messiah's kingdom, temporal, and worship is being dealt with there, right? And Okay, I might as well. I, I, let me tell you, I try to give you some explanation. Point of the temple is where man, there is, there is a, okay, the reason for the temple in the first place is where man can commune with God, can come to meet God. But also too is implied is a separation, separation between man and God, okay? So even when Jesus returns, there will still be a separation between man and God. Why? Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48 talks about this. You'll also see it being mentioned like in the book of Zechariah. But the point that I'm making is when Jesus returns, the new temple is established. It's going to be glorious. Man will be a little closer to God because of the presence of Messiah. But there will be sin offerings still made. Offerings. Why? Because sin, even when Jesus returns, will still be in the earth. So therefore, the temple in the temple that Jesus sets up, there will still be made sacrifices dealing with sin. There'll be memorial sacrifices. Memorial sacrifices is simply to remember what Christ has done. And there'll also be sacrifices for sin. Why? Because mankind will be sinning. Remember Satan will be released again and he gonna start a war. Sin will still be present. So there is need of temple because in the temple sacrifices for sin atonement would be made since this is the eternal kingdom where there is no sin there will be no need of a temple why there'll be no need of sacrifices anymore why there's no need of sin there is no more sin see it now and so that's when he said john said no temple is there ever again the lord god and the lamb are his temple. So therefore it is God who is dwelling with mankind and there won't be anything mediatorial, atoning, no go between, between God and man. That's why I was said early here in Revelation that God himself shall dwell with them. 
no more separation, no more temple. And also notice too, we see the unity. Let me say this, because I don't want to get too long again. God Almighty and the Lamb. So we see almost, almost, there is a dis distinction. There is a distinction. But you see the strength of unity between Father and Son. God and Lamb are temple. You got it? Okay. Also too, let me make this aside, and I don't want to talk much about it. But let me throw this in as a caveat. From the moment that Jesus took flesh, he was born of Mary, okay? He was in flesh, he was in flesh, okay? We know he died and he rose from the dead. When Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus rose in a glorified physical body. That's why he said, touch me, handle me. Give me something to eat. A spirit does not have flesh and bone. And then he ascended back into heaven. From the moment of Jesus' birth, even to this very moment where he is seated in heaven at the right hand of God, Jesus is in a physical form. You can literally touch him. All right? You can touch him. But in the beginning, remember, he lived, he dwelled, I think it's John chapter 17, with the Father, alongside the Father. So in the beginning, Jesus did not have flesh. He was of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Like God in every way. What is God? God is spirit being. God didn't have a fleshly body. Right? So therefore, in the beginning, Jesus, before he was called Jesus, he did not have a fleshly body. Are you following me? As we move here and now in Revelation in the eternal kingdom, there is no more reference again to Jesus having any kind of a fleshly body. So it seems to imply as we move here by the references about Jesus, he has shed that fleshly core. In other words, as he was in the beginning with God, before his birth, putting on flesh, even the resurrection of the dead, he still had flesh. He has now shed that fleshly coat. Why? Everything is done. There's no need for it anymore. Okay? The scriptures have been fulfilled. He has returned to as he was in the beginning, a spirit being. And so we see that unity being spoken of as father and son. I know I can't get into it and I probably shouldn't have gotten into it right there, but I wanted to give you a highlight, okay? But it's that Jesus is different now. You don't see him in the same way, okay? All right, now let's finish it. 23, the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it. And again, the lamp is the lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Let me stop there because I want to do a little more talking and I want to make it longer. So there's no need of sunlight or moon to shine in it. This speaks of God's glory illuminating the city. So there is a, okay, this is the Shekinah glory of God. And you can imagine the Shekinah glory of God. This is when we go even as far back, say for instance, 
because we're talking about temple, temple language, right? When God told Moses to build the tabernacle and inside the tabernacle was this place called the holy place, the most holy place. Some people call it the holiest of holy. There was the Ark of the Covenant, the most ho the holiest article of the tabernacle. It was the most holy one. Okay. And I don't want to get into the descriptors of it. It's chess overlaid in with gold, two cherubims. I mean, mercy seat on top of it made of pure gold, two uh, angels, cherubims on the side, each of it, you know, wings covered. And in the midst of all of that was the glory of God, the glory of God shine. But also too, inside that place, the Ark of the Covenant, the most holy place, because this is a separated part of the tent. And I can't go into it, guys, I'm sorry. Separated part of the tent. There was no artificial light at all. The light that shined in that place only was from the glory of God, the Shekinah, or some people we say the Shekinah glory of God. Okay? So, and this was not the full Shekinah glory of God because no man can stand in the full Shekinah glory of God. This was the localized present and God just simply allowing his glory to shine there. But the point is the glory of God. Remember, even when they dedicated the temple, the first temple that Solomon built, the glory of God filled the house to what extent? No man could even stand in the house. They could not even had to come out of there because the glory was so strong here. And then remember these things that I'm speaking of are earthly, but now we're talking about what the eternal state. So God is allowing, I guess, in a sense, the full glory of God. You see what I mean now? And so therefore there he speaks the need. There's no need for sunshine. He didn't say that there would not be a sun. He just simply said, no need of sunshine. There may be, there may not be. He just simply said, it's not necessary because God's glory is so brilliant in his shiningness. Okay. And again, notice the unity of God, God almighty and the lamp. You know, that's who's giving the illumination for the city and even the world. So, but, and, and again too, let me bring it to you. Notice again, the references to Jesus is this, you don't really see him in the same sense, but you see him simply uh, uh, being implied as he was in the beginning as God without flesh. Okay. But let me go now. 24. The nations will walk by his light. Kings of the earth will bring their glory into it in the daytime for there will be no night there. The gates will never be closed. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it and nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. All right. A lot, but let me break it down. We get some a sense of the economy of the city. I'll explain what I mean. Notice what it says. The nation shall walk by his light. Now, the whole issue is talking about now we're talking about physical light that you can see. Physical light that's given by the Shekinah glory of God not only shines in the city, but notice, remember, the city has a distinction from the rest of the world. The light is so great that it is given light to the new earth itself. OK, and then there's an implied by righteous light, righteous light, because light 
especially as talked about in John, deals with uh, good over against evil. So not only just natural light, but the light of God's law as well as being implied in this, underneath the surface of all of that. And then it notice it says, nations walk by his light. So here again, notice there's a distinction. Those who dwell in the holy city and those who are dwelling in the nations of the world, okay? But also too, when scripture, we know this, whether Old or New Testament, Old Testament uses the term goin. New Testament uses the term ethnon, okay? Same word. When they are being used, the reference is almost always to Gentiles, which goes again back to what I was saying. Who lives in the holy city? All Jews will. Some Gentiles will, the Gentiles of the church. But remember, I told you, Gentiles of the Old Testament, Gentiles after the rapture of the church, I dealt with all of that, okay? They are part of the nations. So he's talking about these Gentiles. Now, of course, remember, this is the eternal age, so everybody's saved. But notice the point. The nation, the Gentiles, will walk by. So therefore, who will be living in the remainder of the earth? Not in the holy city, but the remainder of the earth. That will be illuminated by the holy city. Only Gentiles. Second thing, and this is so beautiful, it takes some, I'm sorry. Kings bring their glory into it. Notice once again, as there were rulers in the earth, in the economy, that's what I meant by economy. When Jesus came, remember talked about Revelation chapter 20, I saw thrones and they who sat on them, okay? In the eternal state, there will also be thrones. There will be kings. There will be, can I say it in this vernacular, common people, I guess, how you want to say that, and there will be rulers of those common people. And God didn't say how he would pick them and all of that. It just lets us know there will be men who will rule over other men. And then another thing for you guys to see too, these are masculine terms. So there doesn't seem that there will be uh, queens or whatever. God has said it that way. But nevertheless, the point is there will be men in the eternal state who will rule over other men and something that you need to see. Remember, this is the eternal state, which means what is being implied when they become kings in the eternal state, they are kings for all eternity. They will forever and ever be kings for this reason. We want to be faithful to the Lord. That's when the Bible talks about works. We'll be judged for our works and our faithfulness, not about going into heaven, but when God begins to reward us, he'll reward us according to such things. Okay. So you do want to be faithful. Maybe you may one day be a king in the eternal kingdom of God. Amazing. But anyway, let's wrap it up. Then it talks about the, the gates of the city again, never being closed. And the reason why this is the eternal state, no one will ever be forbidden to come into the city. Why? Because all will be saved. Open invitation to come into the presence of God by everybody. Once again, that's why you don't need a temple. Open, come directly into his presence. Okay. And then it talks about the king bringing their glory into the holy city, which lets us know there's some sort of economy. And when it says glory, 
not just simply their worship and praise, quite naturally so, but something is going to be going on. Something in the Bible, it's unclear. It just simply calls it glory. And whatever it is, they're going to present it before God. Kings representing the people that they rule over will be doing something and presenting that before God. Amazing. And then it talks about nothing unclean. Once again, the state of this kingdom. Jerusalem, all can come. Gates never shut. Why? Because there will be no more sin. No more mankind sin. No more sin of angels. And the angels don't do that anyway since the time of Satan's rebellion has passed. But sin as a whole is done away with. All right? And all those who are there in the eternal state will be people whose name were written in the Lamb's book of life. And remember what we said about the Lamb's book of life. This, these are the names of the elect of God, those who are saved, written before creation itself. God wrote them down and said, these people will be saved. And as the ages worked itself out, progressed, these are the people's names. These are the people who became believers and such people can never fall away. Their names can never be erased. They will be there in the kingdom, in the eternal state. All right, thanks for that guys. It was longer than what I anticipated, but next time we come back, we're gonna talk about the river of life and the tree of life, which will take us literally back again, uh, similar to Genesis, when we saw the first tree of life and when we saw those great four great rivers of life. Similar comparison once again. And see you next time. Talk about Genesis chapter 22 and we wrap up the book of Revelation.